You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yes, for those of you that are joining us, we like to use the F word in this church, if that F word is forgiveness. So, um, as you know, we are in the middle of a series. We're actually finishing that uh, series on forgiveness. Forgiveness is a central theme of the gospel. And um, it's something that we really need to do a better job of in the church, especially if we expect to see it manifested in the world. And so we have talked about, and I would encourage all of you, if you haven't had the opportunity to jump to um, you know, our, po- our podcasts or social media, you can catch up on all the, the messages there. But I also want to say, as Jake was sharing, we do have all of our kids in here today. We had just a uh, bottleneck of vacations with all of our children's uh, ministry leads. And so you know what? Life can be messy sometimes, and this is actually how Jesus preached. All the kids were in the same room, and so I think it's fitting. I know no kid is going to be worse behaved than my son as he runs up here and he feels comfortable, so it's all good, and I'm glad. Actually, when we were worshiping, I was just thinking, what a, what a gem that our children get to watch us worship the Lord together, like creating those core memories of seeing their parents run to the Lord. Uh, I don't think there's anything better that you can pass on to your children than showing your dependence upon God in your life. And so I'm great to have the kids in the house and I'm believing because the Holy Spirit, there is no junior Holy Spirit that as I share the word of God, that the Holy Spirit is going to share even with these little ones, words and phrases and truths that their little hearts need to hear as well. And so we've talked about a load of topics. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about offense and being honest when we're offended because a lot of us don't want to admit that we're offended. We just want to walk over to the other side of the room when that person that's upset us comes walking down. But there there are red flags that indicate to us that we may be holding an offense towards our brother. Um, We talked about reconciliation. Reconciliation is something that requires both parties, but forgiveness can be given by one. We talked about self-pity, how we live in a culture and a society that almost feeds this need to feel sorry for ourselves and how it's actually a symptom of pride. And then we talked about mercy and how God gave us mercy and how we should extend mercy towards others. And so we're going to we're going to close out this series on forgiveness with the words um apologize. I believe there's a popular song out there that says something like it's too late to apologize. But I'm here to push against that. It's never too late um to apologize. I think those three words I am sorry are absolute gold in relationships. I'm telling you guys, if you haven't used those words and you're still married, start to find that phrase in your vocabulary because you won't find a healthy marriage without those three words. I am sorry. You won't find healthy relationships in the workplace without those three words. I am sorry. And often the inability 
to admit that we're sorry, the, in, the inability to ask for forgiveness, not extend forgiveness, but to ask for forgiveness is really an indicator that we're wrestling with pride. Or we're, we say, I'm reserving this until the other party comes and shows, shows contrition or shows that they've had a change of heart. Already this week, I've had to apologize to team members, to my wife. And if, if you are breathing and living on this earth, I'm, I'm pretty sure that every week you're going to find yourself in a situation where maybe you let your temper get a little bit of the best of you. Maybe you communicated something out of emotion. And I'm telling you the quickest way to diffuse a conflict is to take ownership of your words and to apologize. And that creates actually the breeding ground for reconciliation. It creates the breeding ground for relationships to actually go deeper. And so if you're one of those people that kind of holds on to that until the other person shows a little bit of contrition, I'm hoping that I can kind of turn that ship, write that ship this week and show you that apologizing is actually something that shows spiritual maturity. Um, apologies, I want to say this, are actually important to Jesus. On the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, and this is going to be our primary text. I'm not going to dive into a bunch of different scriptures here. I really want us to focus in on this one topic of apologizing because I think it's something as a society we have a huge problem doing. Think about the last time you heard an elected official or you know apologize for their behavior. We're always putting a spin on something, right? We kind of like we approach like we're going to apologize but we use it as a platform really to to make our case. Can anybody relate to that? Does anybody know anybody like that? Come on, show of hands. Anybody know anybody like that? Okay. Honesty. Vander does. Even my four-year-old son knows some people like that, and I'm probably one of them. So let's read Matthew. When you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Everybody say go. And first, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Seems simple enough. Before you give an offering to God, before you even, you know, give your, your fruits to God, if you have an issue with your brother or sister, go make it right with them before you go to God and make that offering. But as you actually study this text, it shows a lot more. The altar that he's referring to, Jesus, is in Jerusalem, which many scholars believe was about a nine-day journey away. So in, in essence, he's essentially saying, okay, if you walk nine days and you're about to bring an offering into the house of the Lord for God, and all of a sudden, after those nine days of walking, you remember, oh my gosh, I still have some, some stuff I need to work out with Jake. The Lord is saying, before you give that offering, you need to go back and make things right with Jake and then come back. So I want you to think about that. Nine-day walk. Any of you guys ever walk for nine days? 
I didn't think so. I'm not going to wait for an answer. That's a long time. He didn't walk for nine days. So you walk for nine days. You're like, man, I got this issue with Jake. I'll take care of it later. And the Lord's saying, no, it's better that you take care of it right now before you bring anything to me. Because I don't delight in sacrifice. I don't delight in, bro- in burnt offerings. I delight in a contrite and broken spirit, a broken heart. And so your heart is showing a sensitivity. It's a conviction that there's something that's not right in your life. That's the Holy Spirit that is illuminating that to you. You may have forgot it. You may have taken that offense or what they said and locked it away in some chamber of your heart thinking I'm strong. I'll just alienate and cut this person out of my life and I'll just keep moving forward. But the Holy Spirit is all about relationships. Jesus is all about relationships. The kingdom of heaven advances through relationship. And because the Holy Spirit loves you and cares for you and also loves loves and cares for that individual. He's going to highlight that in your heart to prompt you, not towards condemnation because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but the conviction to say, you know what? There's something I need to take care of before I do this. So nine days there, nine days back, and then another nine days. It's like 27 days. Jesus is saying it's better that you walk for 27 days to right the wrong with your brother than to bring me your burnt offering or your sacrifice. Sometimes we like to look at our lives and say, well, I'm checking the God box by perfect attendance on Sunday mornings or even offering my tithes and offerings. And here's Jesus preaching right? Because the Pharisees were emphasizing, you need to be in the temple. You need to give, you know, your tithes. They're emphasizing all, which are biblical truths. But Jesus is saying, look, what's more important is that you're, you're right with your brother and your sister. And so you need to go to them. So you begin to see the idea of apologizing and reconciliation is important to God. Considering that God gave his most prized possession, his son, To give up his life so that the world could be reconciled back with God. So that God could spend eternity with us. So you could say it like this. God is in the reconciled business. And when you become a child of God, a son and daughter of God, guess what? You are now a part of that family business, of righting those wrongs, of taking the high road, which requires low humility in humbling yourself to apologize to those who you have wounded, offended, or have misunderstood you. You know, I think one of the challenges in our society is that we really do a poor job of apologizing. In other words, we don't apologize well. We apologize. It's kind of busted. It's kind of broken. Okay. And we become in our apology. We may start out on the right track, but then we become defensive and we use it as an opportunity to air all of our uh, offenses towards the individual. So maybe you need a couple of examples. I'll give you a few examples of sorry, sorries. Are you ready? Number one, I'm sorry you hurt. You felt hurt by what I did. Okay, 
So again, you're, you're basically using apologize to smuggle in a dig towards that individual. Hello, right? Number two, I'm sorry you're so sensitive. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, maybe you've said some of these things. In the heat of the moment, you're upset and you're arguing with your spouse. And you're like, look, I'm sorry that you took it like that. Or I'm sorry that you're so offensive. No one's going to receive that apology. That apology is wrapped in sarcasm, okay? And so people aren't going to want to take a bite of that. Number three, I'm sorry if you felt I did something wrong. Basically saying, look, you crazy, okay? But if, you're, if, if you felt like I did something wrong, I'm sorry. I actually feel sorry for you, but I'm sorry, okay? These are bad examples of apologizing, okay? Um... Number four, I'm sorry if something I may have done hurt you. This is a really bad one because you're indicating that you know the individual that you're coming to is hurt and you're making light of it by saying that issue's on you and not taking ownership and not taking responsibility. And it's really hard for someone to receive your apology when you're attacking them in the midst of it, right? And so these apologies, they get tangled with all of our emotions and all of our insecurities. And, and the worst one, I don't know if anybody's ever actually said this, but I'm sorry you are such a jerk face. Right there, no one is ever going to receive that apology. But I'm pretty sure I've heard that apology come out of my children's mouth. And this is the problem when we raise our children just to say, you need to go apologize to your brother and not really talk about the root of the issue of the heart. Yes, we want to instill in our children the behavior of going and taking ownership and apologizing for our missteps. Okay, but apologies are deeper than simply an action or words that are coming out of our mouth. There has to be a heart posture change. And can I say this, that if you're going to apologize to your spouse, to your friend, to your boss, to your coworker, and one of those statements is about to roll out of your mouth, you haven't actually forgiven that individual. And you're not sincerely apologizing because it's still mingled with all of your insecurities, your wounds, and your offense. And it would be better for you to sort through that with the Lord so that you can come to them and offer a sincere apology. G.K. Chesterton said this, a stiff apology is a second insult. The injured party does not want to be compensated because he has been wronged. He wants to be healed because he has been hurt. I want you to leave that up there. What words of wisdom? A stiff apology is a second insult. So you're just adding to the divide between you and that individual when you come to them with a sorry, sorry. And so we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to that individual to make sure that that apology has taken root inside of our hearts. Sometimes our, our apologies are actually self-serving and trying to make ourselves feel better or to benefit some way from the apology. So in other words, we see, if I offer this apology, then I will get this. Again, it's self-seeking. It's not esteeming the other 
higher than yourself. It's not a sincere apology. The apology hasn't taken root in your heart. It's an indicator that you're still offended towards that. You still have anger towards that individual. So what does a good apology look like? That's a good question, right? So I think there are four things that I want to highlight today. Number one, a good apology demonstrates a true awareness of the pain you've caused another. So in other words, those other apologies, you're still consumed with the pain that that individual has caused you. But a sincere and good apology is when you see how your behavior or your actions have affected that individual. And because of that, as a result of that, you are formulating your words to reconcile. Number two, it includes a real remorse for the wrong done. A genuine and sincere remorse. Like you've thought about this and it bothers you now. It bothers you, man, the way that I said that, they could have interpreted it like this. And they could be thinking that I don't value them that I don't love them, that I don't care for them. And they've had to carry this the last three weeks. And it's like, there's something that wells up on the inside of you, this remorse that I got to go and make things right because I don't want them walking through this life thinking that I view them this way. Number three, it takes full responsibilities for one's actions. Okay. I'm sorry if, you, if this made you feel like this. It's no, 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 no. Look, I take ownership for what I said. I've given you the example many times I've apologized to my kids for disciplining them out of anger like I'm about to do right now or disciplining them out of, you know, being upset. And what I'll have to say to them is what daddy said was right, but the way that daddy said it was wrong. I should not have raised my voice to you. So it's taking responsibility for my actions. And number four, it seeks to make amends while committing to change. So you can offer apology and just say, I'm sorry, but a true and complete apology is saying that you're going to change in that area. I am committed to making sure that I don't discipline you out of anger, that I don't discipline you when you throw the baseball through the window. I will ask you to go to your room. I will cool down for 30 minutes and then daddy will come and administer that discipline. I know we're all kind of laughing, but these are things that you need to learn along with parenting. Because when you, when you correct, especially with children out of anger, a child doesn't have the capacity to be able to discern that that anger isn't directed towards their worth and value in their life. Maybe an adult can see it like that, but a child cannot. And so a child thinks, is, is our connection of love like broken a little bit? Has it changed? Are, do, you, do you hate me? And so we have, a, and, but also adults can end up like that, that have had broken childhood and broken relationships. And so we need to make sure that we take those extra steps in forgiveness, in offering an apology to let that person know that we are going to change our behavior and that they are loved and that they are valued. Some of the best marriage advice that I can give you, okay, is first of all, whenever there is a disagreement or an argument, okay, 
There, there is very rarely have I ever seen that the disagreement 100% is solely on the other individual. There is usually, if only 1%, something that the spouse can own if the other 99% is assigned to the other spouse. And so what you do is you take ownership for how you could have handled things differently. And when you do that, it opens the floor for the other person to be able to say, well, you know what? I'm, I shouldn't have come at you like this. And it begins the process of reconciliation. And let me just say that there, there is a process to reconciliation. It isn't just words offered and everything's all hunky-dory and you hold hands and you skip off into the sunset. Okay, there is a process, but an apology is an offering that you can offer to your spouse, to your coworker, or to your friend. The biblical word for an apology really is repentance. It's to turn away from a behavior and turn towards what is true. It heals broken relationships and it reconciles them back together. You think about we are disconnected from God. Our sin has separated us from God. And when we repent of our sin, which simply means to turn away from it, and embrace the truth of God's word, we are reconciled back to him. And so an apology, repentance, is the biblical definition of that. And you know, the greatest example is King David. And I'm going to kind of camp out here. Have you ever noticed in the Bible, uh, it says, or maybe you've even heard this, King David was a man after God's own heart. Have you ever heard that said? David was a man after God's own heart. Well, you think about if you've ever read the story of David, which if you haven't, I encourage you to do. David was a murderer. David committed adultery. Yet this is still a man that not some prophet, but God himself says is a man after God's own heart. Okay. What made David a man after God's own heart? It was his repentance, not his perfection, which is good news in the room for everyone who has messed up, who has had a misstep, who has made mistakes over the course of their life. David was a man after God's own heart because he had contrition and repentance. When Nathan came to David and David was so blind to his sin that he didn't even know what he was doing was wrong, was wrong. And so Nathan had to give him this example, this story, and, and David is listening to it, and he's getting burnt up at this man. And he's like, man, something should be done about this man to right this wrong. And Nathan looks him dead in the eye and says, that man is you, David. Now, let me tell you something. Many of us, when we're confronted with truth, especially where we've made mistakes and where we've fallen short, the very first thing that happens is what? Our defenses go up. We want to defend ourselves. We want to say, well, what about them? Well, no, 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 no. Let me tell you the true story of what actually happened. We want to redefine things. Okay, actually a recession is defined as the, I'm just playing, okay, I'm just messing with you, having a little fun with the news, okay. Um, 
But we want to redefine things. We want to give our piece of the puzzle. We want to share our story. But that's not what David did. David's heart broke. And David said, when, when David was confronted with this and when Nathan pointed it out at him, David lamented and said, God, I have sinned against you. That's what made David a man after God's own heart. The fertileness and the sensitivity of his heart, the soil of his heart, it wasn't hardened. So when he received the truth, he could acknowledge where he was wrong. It's not our perfection. It's not our good works. It's our ability to respond to truth, to repent, to have a sensitive heart to the things of God. See, there's a difference. I'll just kind of share this. Worldly sorrow, someone may show tears and you think, well, they're sincerely repentant. They're sincerely apologizing. Okay, but really their tears are from what's going to be taken away from them as a result of their behavior. If they don't get this right, then this is going to happen to me. That's worldly sorrow. Okay, people apologize, but then they go back to acting the same way they were acting before they apologize or before they tried to reconcile. Can anybody relate to that? The words are coming out, right? When Jesus says, you know, your, your words are close, but your hearts are far from me. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is when we know that this has broken the heart of God. That I have to make this right with my brother or sister, and I have to make this right with God. It stirs inside of your heart, not condemning you, but, but, but like warranting a response. I need to do something about this. David also emphasizes in Psalm 51, and you can go look this up for yourself, that without a repentant heart, even, even your good works aren't going to amount to anything. He says, you know, what, what good is, is my sacrifice and my offerings if I don't have a broken and contrite spirit? And so this is really what God is after. God is so concerned with the condition of your heart. And he wants to make sure that it stays pure, that it doesn't become hardened towards him, towards others, and towards this world. He's called us to have a sensitive heart. And in order to be able to have a sensitive heart, we have to keep it free from the weeds of offense and bitterness and vitriol and anger and malice. And the way to do that is to forgive. As I shared in one of the messages earlier, forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and then to find out that that prisoner was you. And so as we are quick to forgive and we are quick to apologize, we keep our hearts sensitive to being able to hear from the Lord. I want to invite the worship team um, back up here. And I'm going to ask all of you uh, to stand. We're going to take the Lord's communion together. And as we get ready, actually, I don't know if Amy's in the room. Um, I need to grab one of those. But as we get ready to take communion, I want you to really search your soul. The Bible says that David searched his soul. And with the partnership of the Holy Spirit, I believe he's going to show you, he's going to illuminate maybe somebody that you're holding an offense towards, maybe somebody that you're still a little bit angry with, maybe somebody that you're still... You just can't even stand the sight of them. And I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith today. 
Remember I said, you need to be free in here before you go to them and vomit on them of how messed up and wrong they are. And so the first step in keeping that fertile heart is to release them, is to forgive them. And then once your heart is pure towards your brother, you can go and be reconciled and apologize and take ownership of any missteps or any words that were shared that were harmful or hurtful. But I really want you to take this serious. The Bible, Paul warns us not to take the elements flippantly. Jesus himself said, this is my body. This bread symbolizes my body that was broken on the cross. And this juice, this wine, it represents my blood that I shed on that cross, reconciling mankind back to me. Had Jesus waited until we showed contrition and we apologized, none of us in this room would be here. But God freely gave his son as an atonement and made a way for us. And he isn't asking us to forgive the unforgivable and to love the unlovable in our own strength. God knows you can only give what you got, which is why he gave his body and he gave his blood. And now the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us. And God pours out, showers his grace on his people to go beyond their natural ability to offer that forgiveness and to offer that reconciliation to those that maybe don't deserve it according to a worldly standard. But God is in the business of reconciliation. And so as we get ready to take these elements, I want you to search. And we're not going to make a spectacle out of this but I want you low under your breath to forgive those individuals as a first step, as an act of faith, as an act of surrender to forgive those individuals who have wronged you. And you can just say it like this, like, James, I apologize. I'm sorry. You just say it under your breath. It's the first step. And now I want to read to you as we get ready to take the elements. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. And let us eat the bread. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. 
and let us take the element of the juice. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And his death doesn't simply highlight his surrender, but also his resurrection. That we are now alive in Christ. That we now can forgive the unforgivable and love the unlovable. And so I want to pray over each and every single one of you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for the long children in this room who I believe you've, you've ministered to their hearts. I pray that the idea of forgiveness would take root in each and every single one of our hearts. That we would keep ourselves free from offense. That we would have the discernment to be able to recognize that offense is imprisoning us. And that we would let go of those things. That we would walk through this world offense free. And sharing the love of Christ with everybody we come in contact with. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so, so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.